the golden rule, a talk to the children of the ashram. This talk was uh, originally addressed to the children of the school, young children, and it was meant for them. It has been written down and repeated more than once to teachers and professors and grown-ups. But it retains its original structure and so it expects its listeners to have the mind of a child, the consciousness of a simple aspiring soul. Today I shall speak to you of the golden rule. When we were children, we were taught, especially at school, at home too, certain golden rules. If you observe these rules, you become good, good boys and good girls. You are loved and appreciated by all. These rules are simple and very commonplace. You know them all and must have tried them. For example, such things as speak the truth, do not tell a lie, obey your parents, respect your teachers, do not hurt anybody, etc., etc. That was the basis on which one was to build one's character, mold one's nature, prepare for a more stainless, noble life. They are good, these rules, so far as they go, but to say the truth, they do not go very far. They do not touch you intimately, they enter, as it is said, your head through one ear and pass out through the other. They do not quicken your heart and involve your soul. You follow, if you are very earnest, one rule or another for a few days and then you forget. The other day I spoke to you of Yajnavalkya. He gave a greater rule that was nearer to the golden rule. What he said in effect was that instead of following these outward rules or formulas, you must leave them aside, go within yourself and find yourself. Yajnavalkya said, you love your neighbor not because he is your neighbor or brother, but because 
you find yourself in him. Find the self. That is the golden rule. Find the self that is in you. You will find that very self in your neighbor, in all. Here, however, you must take care not to confuse yourself with yourself. When it is said that you find yourself, it is not your personal self that you find in another, as if you grasp it as your own personal possession. This self is not the ego, it is beyond ego. It is not the kind of selfhood that Shakespeare depicts in King Richard, when the king, deprived of everything, left all alone in the whole world, exclaims, Richard loves Richard, that is, I am I. For it is not a separative I-ness. The other eyes are dissolved as well as the one I that I am now, and all becomes one person or self. It is all one self, one soul, although they may appear different as different eyes. Here I will tell you a story narrated by the mother to our children. When she was in France there used to be every evening a meeting where seekers and inquirers after the spiritual life assembled and conversed or meditated on this subject. There used also to come to that meeting a remarkable woman who had true realizations and was ready to help others on the path. Once the talk turned on souls and their rebirth, and she was telling how after death of the body souls pass out into another world, and when the time comes each one returns to the earth and takes a human body. Now there was one in the audience who felt a little puzzled about this matter of birth and wanted clarification. She put a question. It was a she. You say that souls come down and take birth. That is to say, assume a human body. But people are increasing in number upon earth. Every year the human population becoming larger and larger. Now the question is, the additional number of people born every year, where they were before? They were there all along since the creation, waiting. Do they appear gradually as time passes? And bides the hour, we in the modern age may suggest an analogy. Is it like 
the stars of galaxies that are gradually coming in our ken, phenomenally distant stars whose lights are taking time to, re to reach the present-day Earth. The questioner asked, Is there a fixed number of souls? Can they be counted? The speaker answered, Yes, they are limited and they can be counted. With great curiosity and eagerness, the questioner asked, How many? How many? Quietly, the one who was speaking extended her hand and put out one single index finger and said, One. So that is the truth. All these many bodies, many persons you see, it is all one appearance. There is only one soul and everyone is that. If you realize this truth, you can love everyone equally. Not merely love, but be one with all, because you are all and all are you. That universal self, your own true self, you have to find, you have to know, you have to become. That is the golden rule as the ideal. How to attain, how to realize it? The Mother in this matter has given us a golden rule, a truly golden rule and very simple. Generally, we are confused as to our duty, what to do, what not to do, how to do, how not to do. The Mother says to the children, do not do what you will hesitate to do or be ashamed of doing in my presence. Do not say anything which you will hesitate to say or be ashamed of saying in my presence. Do not think even what you will find it awkward to think in my presence. Well, try this way and you will find what a golden rule and a simple rule it is. Sri Aurobindo confirms and says the same thing. He says, You will know the well-known phrase, always behave as if the mother was looking at you because she is indeed always present. You need not imagine that she is there, for she is actually always there, whether you imagine or not. You do not know, for you are blind, but she is always there, seeing you, observing you, guiding you, protecting you. She not only sees what you do, but even what you feel inside you even your most secret thoughts. A child once asked the mother in its simplicity, how do you know, mother, what we do, what we think, what we feel? How do you know it? 
Vimala smiled and answered, My child, because you are within me, within my embrace always, therefore I know. I know what is happening in me, don't I? That is why I see what is happening in you. You are not outside me, you are part of myself, I am you. Now, if you follow this simple rule sincerely and persistently, you will see the change miraculously happening in you. You will become the golden child of the golden mother. You will find your thoughts, your words, your feelings, your impulses putting on a new color. Even your body will take a new glow of health and beauty. Normally, our brain is made of mud. Our thoughts are unclean. We have wrong thoughts. dark thoughts. Our tongue also is made of mud or clay. We speak wrong things, impure things. Our heart too is made of the same substance, giving out wrong feelings and unclean feelings. Lower down in our nature, in the vital region, our impulsions are also wrong and muddy and unclean. Finally, the body is mud itself. It is made of diseases and weaknesses and incapable of anything. We are, as it were, a container containing this ugly and unclean mixture. What we have to do is to pour into it the golden liquid molten gold that will wash away all that impurity and filth. Clean the vessel and fill it with its own radiant substance, the molten gold which is the mother's presence. This process has been beautifully described by Sri Aurobindo in one of his poems. I conclude by reading out those magnificent lines, perhaps you all know. The golden light, thy golden light came down into my brain and the grey rooms of mind sun-touched became a bright reply to wisdom's occult plane, a calm illumination and a flame. Thy golden light came down into my throat, and all my speech is now a tune divine, a pian song of thee, my single note. My words are drunk, with the immortal swine. 
Thy golden light came down into my heart, smiting my life with thy eternity. Now has it grown a temple where thou art, and all its passions point towards only thee. Thy golden light came down into my feet. My earth is now thy playfield and thy seat. Usually after a talk, you expect from me something of Savitri. That was our custom. So here is something on Savitri. Savitri, the human divine, the passing of Satyavan. This was the day when Satyavan must die. The day is come, the fateful day, the last day of the twelve happy months that they have passed together. She knew it, it was foretold, it was foreseen, and she was preparing herself for it all the while, harboring a pain deep-seated within the heart, revealed to none, not even to her mother, not even to Satyavan. Satyavan was innocent like a child, oblivious of the fate that was coming upon him. The two went out of the hermitage into the forest, for she wished to move about in the company of Satyavan, in the midst of the happy greeneries where Satyavan had passed his boyhood, his youth. She was watching Satyavan at every step. She did not want to be caught unawares. Love in her bosom, heart at the jagged edges of anguish, moaned at every step with pain, crying, Now, now perhaps his voice will cease forever. She was on tiptoe, as it were, almost breathless. The end must be coming on fast. Her life was now in seconds, not in hours, and every moment she economized. Satyavan, in playfulness, was cutting the branch of a tree with a joyous axe and on his lips high snatches of a sage's chant 
that peeled of conquered death and demons slain. All of a sudden, the doom came upon him. He felt a biting pain through his body, and an invading suffocation besieged him. He threw away the axe and cried out to Savitri. Savitri, a pang cleaves through my head and breast. Such agony rends me. A while, let me lay my head upon thy lap. Savitri saw the end coming, and she was ready. All grief and fear were dead within her now, and a great calm had fallen. His life was ebbing away, and he cried out in a clinging last despair, Savitri, Savitri, oh Savitri, lean down my soul and kiss me while I die. His cheek pressed down her golden arms. She caught his mouth still with her living mouth as if she could persuade his soul back with her kiss. Then grew aware they were no more alone. Something had come there, conscious, vast, and grim. Near her she felt a silent shade immune. Death is come claiming his prey. Satyavan must go and leave Savitri. The Interzone. Death is carrying away Satyavan, the luminous soul of Satyavan. The great shadow is leading the way. Satyavan following, and Savitri clinging to his steps. Death saw Savitri pursuing. He turned and tried to dissuade her from the pursuit. Savitri refused to turn back. Death warned her. It was already a wrong and anomalous act that she has done to have crossed over to his sphere in her earthly personal being. It is time now to go back. Savitri answered that she would go back only with Satyavan in his earthly body. Death became impatient and answered, do you ask for the impossible? You want to go back to earth for earthly happiness. You can have that in plenty without Satyavan. Satyavan has passed beyond and there is no return for him. 
Savitri was firm in her resolution. I claim that Satyavan as he was. My happiness is with him alone. As they proceeded, they mounted higher and higher regions of being, and a change was coming on visibly on Savitri. Death was explaining to her that happiness on earth or in earthly life is not the supremely desirable thing. The supreme desirable thing is to discard the maya of earthly life, that veil of tears, and rise into the very source, the origin of creation, the infinite peace and silence. As death was receding towards that ultimate nothingness, the divinity that Savitri was, the mighty Godhead that took a human shape, manifested itself more and more, shedding all around her a great effulgence, a mighty power. She had entered into death's own lair and identified herself with death's self, which is the divine himself. In that great burning light, death was consumed and dissolved. The dire universal shadow disappeared vanishing into the void from which it came. And Satyavan and Savitri were alone. They stand face to face with the Supreme Divine alone. There is yet a last choice to make. Death has been annihilated and immortality attained. One can rest there and enjoy immortality eternally beyond the mortal creation. But there is a greater destiny for the human soul. Ignorance is darkness indeed, but to enter into light alone is to enter into a greater darkness, and Savitri has attained the immortality as a human being, as a human personality. She is to bring down that immortality into the human creature upon earth. She refuses the everlasting day and turns to come down again into the twilight mortality with all her immortal stature so that human beings may be rebuilt in that mold. So they come down, Satyavan and Savitri, from the supreme heavens, rushing down as heavens a blessing as it were through 
ethereal atmospheres, gradually reassuming the texture of earthly form till they found their material body again upon this concrete earth. A power leaned down, a happiness found its home over wide earth brooded the infinite bliss. The Return Satyavan lay on the green sward, over him and around green branches spread their peaceful felicity. His head reposed upon the lap of Savitri, Exactly as he lay, at the last fateful hour, confronting the mighty shadow, as if there was no gap or hiatus in between, the great intervening experience was only just a momentary dream, not the ageless Calvary it seemed to be in the other sphere. But now the waking gladness of our members felt the weight of heaven in his limbs and all her life was conscious of his life. Human she was once more, earth Savitri, yet felt in her illimitable change. Satyavan's being was there, pure, passionate to the passion of the gods. Desire stirred not the wings, for all was made an overarching of celestial rays, like the absolved control of sky on plain heavens leaning down to embrace from all sides earth. Satyavan now turned to Savitri. Vague recollections rose in him and he cried out in wonder. Whence hast thou brought me captive back? Love changed to thee, and sunlight's walls, O golden beam. And uh, caskets of all sweetness, Savitri, Godhead and woman, moonlight of my soul. As he gazed upon her, his wonder grew more and more with a new flame of worship in his eyes, and he exclaimed once more, What high change is in thee, O Savitri, bright ever thou wast, a goddess still and pure, yet dear to me by thy sweet human parts, earth gave thee, making thee yet more divine 
The embodied divine does not discard the or even minimize the human. On the contrary, greatens and heightens this earthly being. It is a sea chain that is wrought in the content and in a certain modality of the form, but the essential form and content remain somewhat like the process of fossilization. Mortality is squeezed out and all is molded in immortality. The divinity is there in all its fullness, but there is added to it the exquisiteness that earth brings to the human. And Savitri says, we have borne identity with the Supreme and known his meaning in our mortal lives. Yet nothing is lost of mortal love's delight. Heaven's touch fulfills, but cancels not our earth. Still am I she who came to thee mid the murmur of sunlit leaves upon the forest verge. I am the Madran, I am Savitri. Thus is human as human can be, the quintessence of humanity, for it is human divinely. <laughs>